This is BMO Smarter Investing for May 2023. Join top BMO economists Douglas Porter, Sal Guccieri, and Jennifer Lee for trends and forecasts across the economic landscape so you can make more thoughtful investment decisions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Sal Guccieri, and joining me is Robert Kavsik to discuss the housing market outlook for Canada and the U.S. It's no surprise that the most interest-sensitive sector of the economy took the brunt of aggressive rate hikes in the past year, which piled onto already poor affordability stemming from an earlier surge in prices. The latest data suggests uh, sales and even prices may be bottoming, but will they remain in the cellar for a while, or are we laying the foundation for a strong recovery? Rob, let's start with what caused the housing correction of the past year. Well, pretty pretty straightforward. I mean, we saw the Bank of Canada raise rates 425 basis points in the space of a year. That's a generationally aggressive and and, an abrupt tightening cycle. We haven't seen any kind of move like that since the late 1980s, I think. And so, I I, I mean, I just I I don't think there's really any way for an asset class, especially one like housing, that's very rate sensitive to get away from that without some kind of adjustment. And it's kind of just complicated by the fact or made worse by the fact that before the Bank of Canada raised rates, we had a market that looked pretty frothy from a valuation perspective. So I think I think to date, the correction that we've seen has has been that. It's been an adjustment of the asset price to the shift in interest rates. It hasn't gone to the next step, which would be you know, a fallout from the economy or, or job loss or household delinquencies and things like that. This has just simply been an adjustment to higher rates. Yeah, that very well describes the situation in Canada. It's pretty similar in, in the U.S. I mean, the Federal Reserve uh, now has raised rates five percentage points in, in just over a year. And that really just compounded the fact that house prices had already gone up 40% in the previous couple of years to the summer of last year. So really, it came down to affordability being basically the worst since 1985 when you, you look at what the typical American family getting into the housing market, how much of their income they would have to spend on, on mortgage payments alone, getting close to a four-decade high at, at that point. So uh, if that doesn't cause a price correction, I guess nothing will. Now, uh, what led to the earlier surge in prices during the pandemic? I mean, was this an issue of too strong demand or, or too little supply in, in Canada? Well, so there's a lot to unpack there. So Characterize it like this. So I think like when you step back and look at what happened over the last couple of years, and if you look at it from a longer term perspective, I think our belief all along has been that the housing market had very strong underlying fundamentals right, in Canada from a demographic and a supply side perspective. When the Bank of Canada cut rates to zero during the pandemic, that created obviously more demand for housing. There was some fundamental shift during the pandemic as well, where we saw households looking for more space. Maybe you saw some households that were considering purchasing over the next couple of years, pulling those purchases forward because the cost of borrowing was so low. And then the Bank of Canada said, you know what, we're going to keep rates here for a long time, so go ahead and borrow. And a lot of people jumped onto that and it kind of started to fuel some excess in the market. And when you see prices rising 20 30% per year, and you have the Bank of Canada saying that we're not going to raise rates, you kind of get this green light to go ahead and run wild in the housing market. And we saw a lot of investors move into the market, you saw a lot of fear of missing out, you know, that prices are going to run away and, and never come back. So in, in other words, we had a very fundamentally strong housing market that just saw a lot of froth accumulate on top of it, right? I think that was really the crux of the problem where you had this, you had a very psychologically driven market that was 
causing a lot of excess demand up and above what are longer term supply and demand issues that still do persist. And and the, and the one good giveaway that this was very psychologically driven was that the minute the Bank of Canada raised rates 25 basis points at the start of the tightening cycle, the market went dead overnight and the psychology completely changed. So that is what we are unwinding right now. And, and all of that froth that we're cleaning up right now, I think, and for the most part, it's done. When we come out the next stage of the cycle, we still do have very strong demographic demand situation and a lot of structural supply issues in this country that aren't going to just go away. Yeah, very well uh, put. And I think in the U.S., it's it's basically a similar situation. It's always hard to unpack a big run-up in an asset price uh, as far as splitting it between a supply shortfall or or demand surge. Clearly, supply was was part of the problem. We're well aware of the global supply chain disruptions and delays through most of the pandemic. Well, those hit home builders as well. And and in the U.S., I think builders were pretty shy of overbuilding after the big bust during the last housing correction and and after the Great Recession. So they were pretty shy about building too many homes. But I, I would tend to agree. I think this was clearly a situation of just excess demand because of too low interest rates, too much excess liquidity floating in the system. This was not just a situation in Canada or the U.S. where house prices surged. I mean, this was basically a phenomenon across most advanced countries. And all of them had one thing in common, very loose monetary policy. So I agree. I would put most of the blame on on excess demand pressures here. But, you know, obviously, uh, supply uh, shortages were part of the, uh, the the problem as well. Now, Canadian uh, benchmark prices have corrected. They're down about 16% from their peak. How does this compare to uh, past corrections? So from a historical context in Canada, it's actually pretty par for the course, I would say. Like if we look back to, say, the late 1980s, you can pick out seven or eight distinct housing cycles, not all of them national, some of them at the regional level. And when you when you pick out those housing cycles, I think the average peak to trough decline across that subset has been like 17%. It's taken about three years to bottom out. So where we are today, we're, we're down about that much, but we bottomed out within, within the course of a year, assuming that we have seen the lows. So peak to trough, the decline is consistent with what we've seen historically. It's also actually very consistent with what we forecasted from the outset because it does, for the most part, reflect the increase in interest rate. It doesn't totally offset the increase in interest rates, but it's roughly in the neighborhood that we would need to see prices come down to account for what the Bank of Canada did and, and where, where mortgage rates have gone. It's been quicker just simply because I think there was a lot of froth that got cleaned out very quickly. And some of the past cycles, like if you look at Southern Ontario, for example, through the 1990s, that one drew itself out over the course of six or seven years, right? Whereas this one seems to be running its course much quicker. And I think fundamentally, we're just in a much stronger economic and underlying demographic situation today than we were in the 1990s. So that would kind of argue for us finding the bottom quicker once we just, again, clean out that froth. And it has a much different look and a much different feel to it than what we would arguably be, say, was was the worst housing cycle in Canada through the 1990s, where a lot of things went bad from a fiscal perspective, currency perspective, demographic perspective that we just don't see today. So, you know, I think it's almost right on par with what we've been expecting and what we've seen historically. That's quite interesting. The fact that you mentioned that there's been a number of nationwide housing corrections in Canada. Many, of course, uh, led by certain regions. And I think because there are you know, fewer big cities in Canada than in the U.S., 
if you get a big correction in Toronto or Vancouver, that will drag down the national average. In the U.S., it's, it's kind of funny because it's very rare to see a nationwide house price correction, at least in the, in the past half century. Uh, and again, I think it's, you know, housing markets are local. You do have regional or local housing bubbles that can burst. But because there's so many large regions in the U.S., large cities, the ups and downs seem to uh, smooth themselves out. So nationwide, the history of U.S. house prices is, is one of remarkable stability for the most part. Now, the one big exception, of course, was the 32% plunge in median home prices during the Great Recession and, and, and the last housing bust. And that, that took a good decade to recover all, all of those losses. But you compare that to what we, we've seen just now in the current correction for the U.S., where some of the, the home price measures are down only about 5%, again, after running up uh, close to 40% during the pandemic. So again, that history of remarkable stability seems to be playing out quite well across the U.S. Now, what are the signs of a bottoming in the Canadian housing market at the moment? Well, we're starting to already see on the ground more multiple offer situations. You're seeing prices come in over asking. And, and just, just in, in, in the report, the official reported numbers beyond the anecdotes that we see on the ground, which tend to be more timely and, and usually pretty accurate, but the actual reported numbers are starting to show that prices have at least leveled off and if not started to move a bit higher in some of the bigger markets like Toronto. And it's not a surprise because we've expected that sales would stabilize. We're at a pretty low run rate for sales activity relative to pre-pandemic norms still, but they have started to pick up. What we are seeing though is, is just a complete lack of new listings on the resale side of the market. And we've been watching this for a couple months and saying, you know what, once demand starts to come back in the spring, as two to five-year fixed mortgage rates have backed off, the Bank of Canada has also come out and said, effectively telling Canadians that we're done raising rates. So from a demand perspective, I think, again, going back to the psychology, you now have a pretty clear message that the worst is probably over for housing and the Bank of Canada is confirming that. So in some cases, you have potential buyers who are waiting now with a green light to say, okay, the worst is in. Prices may not jump from here, but at least the, you know, the worst is behind us. So that's pulling some demand back in. But again, on, on the supply side, there's just no listings. And we're seeing the lowest run rate for new listings in a market like the GTA in probably 20 years or so. And that's just, just in raw numbers. And considering how much the population has grown from that period 20 years ago, that's, that's not enough to satiate the demand, right? So the market has tightened up very quickly. And that kind of leaves us with one of the key features of this cycle being that there is just absolutely no forced selling. And it's a very important point and it's a very important feature of this cycle where Canadians who took out variable rate mortgages are not seeing any payment stress because of the nature of our mortgage market, right? We're, we're seeing mortgages amortized out, but we're not seeing payments jump in real time. So nobody has to sell. That's a big difference versus what we saw, say, post-financial crisis in the US. And then potential sellers out there who are looking at a very soft market through the last six months or so, a lot of them have just pulled listings and said, I'll wait till later. I have the financial capacity to just hang on or sell later. Or if you're an investor, you're turning to a rental market that is historically very strong and very low vacancy with all the demographic flows coming in. So I think that's really the key takeaway here that you're seeing an uptick in demand and there is just very, very little new listing flow coming to the market. 
Yeah, very similar situation uh, in the U.S. as well. I mean, you mentioned that mortgage rates in Canada, we're not seeing much signs of stress for homeowners at the moment. In the U.S., it's even more the case because they're sitting on much longer-term mortgages that are you know, at fixed rates, in some cases, still with a three-handle. So they're clearly in no rush to uh, put their house on the market. At the same time, though, we are seeing more first-time buyers stepping in, jumping off the fence in that because you know, the mortgage market has, uh, has strengthened a little bit. We now have the 30-year mortgage rates in the U.S. in the 6.5% range, so well below. You know, they were over 7% for a while there. And that seems to have, have triggered a little activity. We are seeing broad signs of bottoming across the U.S., whether you look at housing starts or existing home sales or new mortgage applications, all of them have clearly carved out a bottom. I mean, I should say a bottom because they're still at fairly depressed levels, but at least you know no longer falling. And new home sales actually in the U.S. have turned upwards. And that's apparently because of the shortage of, of existing homes on the market. So if you, want, if you really want a house, in some cases, you're forced to buy a, a new one. So uh, definitely clear signs of bottoming in, in the U.S. And, and as you mentioned, it really does come down to uh, the interest rate and, and people's perceptions of where interest rates are, are going. Now, is the, uh, the stage set for uh, sales and prices to, so to speak, crawl along this bottom? Or, or should we expect uh, a V-shaped recovery? Well, I, I think we're starting to see evidence that the floor is in. I, some markets, some like of the more desirable markets, we're seeing prices come back a little bit. It's hard it's hard to still envision a really strong V-shaped recovery here because from a valuation perspective, I mean, things are, they're not favorable, put it that way, right? We're not seeing the excess or the extremes that we saw a year ago before this correction started, but they're, they're not all that favorable. I think for the most part, when you look at the national picture, we probably just see prices in a number of markets find a floor and then kind of crawl sideways for a little bit and drift higher, roughly in line with where incomes go. That's kind of a base case scenario that would account for a relatively soft landing for the economy and eventually a downward move in mortgage rates through 2024. We don't think the Bank of Canada is going to cut rates this year. But so that gives us an environment where prices can kind of start growing with their longer run baseline again, which would be roughly you know, in line with income growth, call it 5 or 6%, maybe 2 or 3% in inflation adjusted terms as we've seen historically. I have a hard time thinking we're going to go back to the kind of froth and investment-driven kind of exuberance we saw over the last couple of years, just because I think a lot of investors have kind of been flushed out and taught a little bit of a lesson over the last 18 months. Hopefully, that's the case. Uh, and I think the Bank of Canada is probably watching pretty closely. And if the economy does not roll over and we start to see momentum pick up again, or if we start to see signs that inflation is not breaking on a sustained basis, then maybe they have to kind of get called into action a little bit here. But for the most part, I think it's um, it's pretty modest growth from here. And pretty similar situation, I believe, for the U.S. as well. Not only do most economists anticipate at least a mild recession for the U.S. this year, and clearly the Fed has no plans to cut interest rates. They've only recently signaled that they, they could well pause in the rate tightening cycle, but no plans to cut interest rates. And on top of that, we have this the stress from the banking system that almost certainly, as we speak, is leading to tighter lending conditions in the U.S. So it, it will be a little more difficult for some U.S. home buyers to actually get a mortgage. So for all those reasons, I would agree. I think the situation for the U.S. is one more of kind of crawling along this bottom with, with some modest gains, perhaps towards the end of the year when the economy picks up. 
But you know, that V-shaped recovery, or I, I would say U-shaped recovery, probably is more of a 2024 story when the Federal Reserve is anticipated to cut interest rates through that year, and the economy should be on an upswing as, as well. Now, how will this, uh, we've talked about how the economy will affect the housing market, but how will the housing market and recovery impact the economy and, say, the Bank of Canada's future decisions? Well, yeah. So as we touched on, I think they probably are going to be watching this pretty closely. They have they have moved to the sidelines. They've paused their rate hike campaign. It is conditional, but I mean, I mean, for the most part, they've telegraphed to Canadians that they're done raising rates, right? At the end of the day, it still is conditional on that inflation target. And as we know, we've seen inflation, we've seen most measures of core inflation drift down. We're not we're not back to where the bank wants to see it. Let's say we're looking at most measures of core inflation in that three percent or so range, right? So there's still some more work to do there. And the bank is mindful of that. I think like if we go through this spring, through the summer and in, into the second half of this year, and there's just no sign that the economy is actually rolling over and slowing down. And we're starting to see a lot of housing activity come back in and start starting to see some signs that households are levering up again or there's more investment flow into housing. I think they'd have to be pretty mindful of that as something that might suggest that policy isn't restrictive enough. That's not our view. I mean, our, our view is that housing has corrected, it's going to settle in and inflation is going to kind of drift back down to that target. And we are going to see a bit of a deterioration in in the job market along with the economy. But I think that's one area they're going to be mindful of on the upside. On the downside, I think they're also aware of the fact that Canadians levered up a lot during this cycle. And it's not having an acute impact right now because of the way our mortgage market is structured. But as we look out two, three, five years, when a lot of this debt comes to renewal, depending on where the interest environment is at that point. That's an area as these mortgages come to renewal, maybe there's some more stress on the household and the consumer um, spending side of the economy as well. It's not going to hit us today, but it's something that's going to kind of linger in the background going forward over the next couple of years. And I think they'll be aware of that too. So the Bank Canada, almost certainly more mindful of developments in the housing market simply because Canadian households appear to be more sensitive to interest rates because they, they, they have shorter term mortgages and because the housing market just accounts for a bigger share of the Canadian economy than is the case in the U.S., where it's still a relatively small share of 4% or less of GDP. Now, we do know that the U.S. housing market, at least residential construction, during the correction was carving about half a percentage point from real GDP growth uh, last year. I think what will happen now that we're seeing a bottom forming is, is that we no longer will see that drag on the U.S. economy. So. You know, at the margin, the bottoming of the housing market now probably will dissuade the Fed from from cutting interest rates later on. But it's really much less of a concern for the Fed than it is for the, for the Bank of Canada. I mean, for the Fed, the key now is what's happening on the services side for inflation, and that's largely uh, you know stemming from the, the still tight labor market. So it's really the labor market that's that's the key to what the Fed will do going forward as opposed to uh, the housing market. Now, are there uh, notable regional differences in the housing market uh, in Canada? I mean, which regions are likely to see the strongest recovery once that recovery gains some steam? Yeah, so there have been big differences, right? So most of the froth that we saw through the pandemic was those perimeter markets, say, let's call it one to three hours outside the core of the big cities, Toronto, Vancouver, for the most part. So that, and, and we've documented this well, so we don't have to go over all of it, but we saw a big movement out of the big cities into some of those markets. A lot of it was facilitated by 
the ability to work remotely and just younger families wanting more space, all that kind of stuff. So those markets, they rose the fastest. They also corrected the most. And in some of those areas, we're looking at 16% price declines nationally. Some of those markets are already down 20 or 30% in some cases. Are they going to come storming right back? I would say probably not. I would say you know some of the price adjustment there was has an element of permanence to it because there was a little bit of a re- reshaping of the economy longer term and where people are able to actually live and work. But I don't think they're going to come storming all the way back. The bigger markets, I think, probably are the areas where we're going to see activity come back quickest. And we're already seeing signs of it in some of the more, let's say, the more premium areas of, of a market like Toronto, where um, either investors or households are, are using this correction as an opportunity to move back into some of, the, some of the prime areas. So I think those are the areas that will probably come back quickest. The single detached side of the market as well is still one that we'd be very bullish on over the medium term, as we have been the last 10 or 15 years. Just from a demographic perspective, we are right now at peak millennial in a sense that the millennial peak is about 32 years old. And those are households that are creating a lot of families. So they're looking for single detached housing. Not coincidentally, that's fortunately the area of the housing market that has been perennially underbuilt for the last 20 years. So I do think there's going to be some some stress picking up on that side of the market as well in terms of upward price pressure. On the flip side, you probably have um, uh, less upward pressure on the condo market because we're just much more richly supplied for condos in the major cities in in Canada. So those are those are some of the high level takeaways I would say. So affordability, obviously, uh, a real key to some of these regional uh, differences in the housing market, and we're seeing that in the U.S. as as well. I mean, you mentioned small cities tend to be less expensive than big cities, and with remote work, that does allow the opportunity for workers to live in smaller cities or satellite cities and therefore um, you know, save on their housing costs. And that also, it really comes down to affordability in some of the U.S. regions uh, across the South, as opposed to the Western states where prices are, are much more elevated. In fact, you know, that's probably a key reason we're seeing uh, population shifts from you know, Western United States to the Southern uh, states for the most part. And as well, we are seeing many businesses moving from some Western states to the Southern states as well for lower taxes and, and other reasons. So I do believe it's the Southern states that will probably recover fastest compared to some of the Western uh, regions in, in, in the U.S. Now, will, uh, I guess this age-old question, will housing ever become truly affordable for the median income family? I know they, they can move to smaller centers if they want or particular regions, but a lot of families clearly cannot simply pack up and move to less expensive regions. Will we ever see a day, especially for, for young people, where housing becomes generally affordable once again? <laughs> Someday, not today, not tomorrow, probably not for the next five or 10 years, unfortunately. It's just the nature of, of, of what we've set ourselves up with, I think, is 10 or 15 years of building the wrong kind of housing supply to meet the demographic needs that we have today and for the next 10 years, right? And so that's that's a massive cohort called the millennials moving into the ages where they have families and they want space. And that's exactly the kind of housing stock we have not built for the last 20 years. So yes, we can get away. We can find ways around it. We can trade down into smaller units. We can move further outside of the city. And one of the big benefits of hybrid work is it's opened up a lot of areas that traditionally were not feasible, like just from a commuting perspective. So all that kind of helps. 
but it's not enough to make the affordability problems completely go away because there are just there are too many people looking for the kind of housing stock that we just haven't been building. Are we going to build our way out of the affordability problem like policymakers seem to think we can do? Absolutely not. I mean, we've seen goals at the federal level and at the provincial level to suggest we're going to double the rate of construction over the next 10 years. If we do that, 10 years from now is not when we need it. We need it today. So that's that's one thing going against us. The other thing is that even if we were even if we were going to somehow think we can achieve these goals, we can't because the industry is already at full capacity today. We're looking at record low unemployment in construction. We're looking at record high job vacancies in construction. And we're already seeing the most units under construction per capita that we've ever seen in this country. And to think we can start from a level of full output and then double it tomorrow, it's just not going to happen. So supply is not our way out of it. This is unfortunately going to be a stress point for, for a number of years going forward, I think. And I guess the last thing I'll say here is that even though we've seen a near 20% correction in prices nationally, like we step back and say, has affordability actually improved because of that? It hasn't really, right? If you look where we were pre-COVID, the average price, I think, is still up 30% from pre-COVID levels, even after this correction. The average income level is up about 18%. So that hasn't offset the increase in prices. And the the mortgage rate that you're getting out in the market today is 150 basis points higher roughly than it was pre-COVID. So affordability is still worse now than it was before the pandemic, despite the fact we've seen this pretty significant housing correction. And then again, if this is in fact where we find a floor, it just speaks to the fact that real estate, especially single detached real estate in the bigger cities is is going to be a pretty scarce product for, for some time still, unfortunately. Well, that's disheartening. Uh, I, I, I would tend to agree, unfortunately. I think, yeah, next year when interest rates begin to fall and incomes perhaps rise at a faster pace as the economy recovers, we could see some improvement in affordability, but there's such a long way to go to normalize. And on top of that, there's probably that long-standing risk that central banks could once again you know, overstimulate if the economy weakens too much and drive the next up cycle in home prices that uh, worsens affordability. So kind of disheartening, but um, thanks, Rob, for the uh, the discussion. I, I guess the main takeaway is that the housing correction is appears to be winding down, but uh, robust recovery could take some time to unfold, probably more a 2024 story when the economic interest rate and lending climate should be friendlier. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to BMO Smarter Investing, a podcast brought to you by BMO Investor Line. We are here to empower Canadians to invest smarter. For more information on how you can start investing today, visit bmo.com slash online investing. And be sure to subscribe to this show to get the latest episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.